Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 232. So with that number, we have to look at this stat. Uh, As of January 2019, a total of 232 women have earned a cap for the senior U.S. Women's National Team in the 642 games played since August 1985. With this She Believes roster just announced, I'm wondering now if Adriana French will be player number 233 to earn a cap for the U.S. Women's National Team. All right. And speaking as she believes, the first chat for today is with Jonathan Tannenwald from Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, Since the roster for the tournament for the U.S. women just came out, we take a look at the roster discussing Haran's admission due to injury, Morgan Bryan's admission due to a coach's decision, and other other factors like that. Uh, If you want to check out a full list of all call-ups, to the U.S. national team since January 2017. I do have that linked at keepernotes.com. And then the second much longer chat is with my Australian buddy, Chris Hockman. We talked all about the, the Matildas controversy with the sacking of, of the head coach, Stadge. I love that nickname. Um, and we also look ahead to the W League grand final coming up this weekend between Sydney SC and Perth Glory. So enjoy. Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Jonathan Tannenwald, soccer reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer, coming to us live from the newsroom. I love that, JT. What's going on in the sort, newsroom? Sort of live and the weather's miserable out. I gather it might be nicer where you are. So, Yeah, yeah. I won't tell you how nice it is where I am right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> Jen Cooper I'm, live from an undisclosed location. Yes, yes, yes. I, I'm actually somewhere on the West Coast. Um unearthing old soccer memorabilia to sell um, as my sister is getting ready to to move and, and sell her house. So I've I've found some really fun old things that I've given her over the years that, that she's ready for me to share with the Woso world. So look forward well, to that. I am sitting over here on the East Coast drinking a mug of tea, trying to keep warm, which means that I am literally going to be drinking tea and talking women's soccer. Nice. Nice. Well, let's talk women's soccer. Let's talk the She Believes roster that that dropped today. Um, you know, thanks for thanks for the heads up from you on that. Uh, you know, so 23 players named to the roster plus Jill Ellis named for training players who will not be eligible to play in the tournament, but at least will be, you know, getting a shot to show her something in practice. So, of course, you know, the, the first thing we all saw was Lindsay Horan not on the roster, but it's because she she has an injury. And it's not clear how major that injury is. But have you heard anything more about that? Uh, I asked around. Uh, I asked U.S. Soccer and they said that uh, I asked, do we I asked, uh, do we know when or how this injury occurred? And the answer I got back was no. And I asked somebody in Portland and they said, ask U.S. Soccer about that. <laughs> Um, so that, that's will, almost as good not, as no comment. Uh, I, I will not. I will not incriminate the innocent quite any further yet. Um, we should note, by the way, that the four practice players will be at the training camp in Tampa, but that will be it. They, I don't think they're actually going to be traveling. That makes sense during the tournament. I think they're only going to the pre-tournament camp. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
Yeah, it doesn't make sense to travel with with 27. So Long, Ali Long and Merritt Mathias, who were not part of the January camp in any way, they're part of that training roster, along with um, Emily Fox and Jane Campbell, who were part of the, the January roster. But the biggest omission from this roster is midfielder Morgan Bryan. So that's not an injury. Um, it's not really addressed in the press release, so you know it's not injury-related because they always list if someone didn't make it because of an injury. So that's got to be a coaching decision. That Well, I asked U.S. soccer and was told that it is indeed a coach's decision, uh, which is pretty big news. And, uh, you know, I had I had been kicking around, you know, in writing the story, you know, how am I going to address who might fill in uh, for Haran at the, well, we can get into exactly what position in a minute. But as I was going through the list of names, I started to write about Morgan Bryan, and then I found out that she wasn't going to be on the roster at all, and there that went out of the story uh, in a hurry. Um, Allie Long being on this uh, training camp roster intrigues me a little bit because I thought she was out of the picture, and I don't think I'm alone in that regard. Uh, right. I'm starting to wonder if Morgan Bryan's out of the picture, and I'm starting to really wonder if Danny Colaprico's in it. And if she is, I think that's a big deal. That's a very big deal, especially, you know, when we look back at those November friendlies where McDonald got a call up again that we hadn't seen, what, in two two years. Colaprico got a call up and finally got a cap, you know, um, and then McDonald gets some more time in January. It's, it's like, hey, there's, I mean, I'm I'm excited that there's still a window for a player of that level to to get in the 23. I like that our, our roster isn't frozen at this point. Yeah, well, I think I think you know, especially when a lot of us thought that Colaprico was on the outs because the you know sort of the prior occasion when she had been called up, she really didn't didn't perform well in the week of practice. She didn't seem up to the level, and the fact that she is now. I think is quite a compliment to her. And it, it actually, it plays a little bit into the alley long part of it. And the sort of having the four training camp players, because when we talk about not playing well in practices, what we're really talking about here for folks who don't know is Jill Ellis likes to run really serious 11 on 11 scrimmages during these, you know, the training camp days before the game start. And she needs a certain quantity of players to do that that is more than 23, really, because if there's three goalkeepers and there's 20 outfield players and you can't run a full-sided scrimmage, you know, with just that, you know, you need a little more than that to, to yeah, you need a couple subs. In a little bit, you know, yeah, You're right. So um, that's why it's at 27 for that week. And, you know, those are the moments, as the old saying goes, that, that the uh, scrimmages are more intense than the games sometimes especially when they're playing lesser opposition, which they obviously aren't now. Uh, but this is, you know, this is interesting. And I, you know, obviously Cole Aprigo has earned it, McDonald too. And I cannot get out of my head a piece, uh, Jim, that as you saw, I wrote a, a couple weeks ago after the coaches convention. Um, I had attended a seminar that Opta and a couple of folks from U.S. Soccer gave about how the data analysts at the Federation are using some relatively new and high-end Opta statistics to make some serious judgments about U.S. national team roster selection. 
And they didn't name any names, and uh, they weren't going to name any names because that's the way they were doing things with this. But uh, when I look at Daniel Colaprico and Jessica McDonald getting looks at this, and I look at some of the analytics that we have on those two players, I just sort of wonder in my gut whether that's the connection there. That's a really good point. I have no idea, to be clear. I'm, I'm, I'm only working off gut instinct here. It's not anything that anybody has told me. I just wonder. It, it, it's certainly a, you know, it, it's a compliment to a lot of different people. Um, if it is, and I will, I will tell your listeners, you know, even though we, we all think that the Federation is nameless and faceless and occasionally menacing and uh, of questionable motives, the guys who do the, like the, the two lead analytics guys, guys who gave this presentation, uh, Tyler Heaps and, and Joris Beckers, who are somewhat public figures now, their names have been out there a little bit. They're really cool people. And uh, they actually care quite a bit about women's soccer, which is their credit. They've, they've, uh, I got a chance to look at some of their work. It was pretty interesting. So is that telling us that, you know, Jill is, is more and more looking at those kind of metrics? And I, I guess you think about it, too. Now she's had, you know, she took over May 2014. She's, she was, might have five years worth of data, you know. I doubt she has five. Well, okay, maybe three I years. Say I doubt she has maybe five three years. Right. Maybe three she years. She has, however much data there is. I'm not sure there's been quite as much opted data as we might like for all five years or so on. I don't know. Right. That. Right. But uh, you know, I the, every indication that I have gotten is that she is actually quite interested in this stuff. So, you know, my my idea has always been, you know. Call a lot of call in as many players as you want doesn't mean they all have to play in a game. You can at least have a look at them, and that that certainly applies on the men's side too. And I've said that uh, before. Um, but you know, I I think that we're obviously now at a point where Jill has been able to sub- substantively judge a lot of players, and uh, probably has some idea of most of who she wants to take to France. I thought, and I think I might have said this on your show before, I'm not sure when the last time I was on was, I, I thought for quite a while that 22 of the 23 spots were locked up. And now it might be down to 21. And so the first thing I do whenever a roster comes out is look at who of these 22 is not there, which right now is Morgan Bryan, and right. who's everybody else, which right now is Danny Colaprico, Andy Sullivan, and Jessica McDonald. And if we uh, if we uh, do a little bit of speculating, as a few of us were doing on Twitter before I came on air, uh, we start to get a sense of who the competition is for those last roster spots, and it sure seems that Colaprico is right in the middle of it. Definitely, it's especially to have you know to to be consistent, where she gets the November call, a cap, January call, and and this call. Yeah, and then and I then I think. I think we need to talk too about Andy Sullivan, who seemed like she was on the outs for most of 2018, barely called in, played with the U23s in August, preliminary roster for CONCACAF, and then now she's been on the last three. Now, yeah. now I don't think we saw her last month, but that, you know, it still, still says she's under consideration. And, and I had sort of gotten the impression that, that Sullivan sort of was not at her time yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a little inclined to put Colaprico above Sullivan on the depth chart. And 
people are going to say, well, at what position? And that's, uh, I would refer your listeners to my Twitter feed, not knowing quite when this is going to come out, but I, I've been sort of maintaining a depth chart, and I tweeted a little photo of it uh, on on uh, Tuesday after the roster came out. You might have it where you are at the moment. I'm not sure. Um, but I'm thinking in terms of a 10 and 8 and 6, and I have Colaprico is sort of in and around the 8. And the eights that I had were Sam Lewis uh, and Morgan Bryan in the 22. And now I'm starting to wonder if Cole Aprico and Bryan are a little close to each other. And then I'm not sure whether Sullivan ends up as the eight or the six. I'm inclined toward the eight. So here's a question that I have um, for you, Jen, to, that we might debate a little bit. Okay. Do we do we think that Jill is playing two tens here with Moran and Lavelle, or is she playing – Haran as an eight, or does it really matter, perhaps, in the end? But if so, if she's playing two tens, there's not really another ten besides Lavelle. If she's playing an eight, things are going to get interesting because you know, I think folks know I've been on the Sam Mewis hype train for a little while. And uh, even though Colaprico might be sort of a headliner because she's playing for one of the last roster spots, i got to think – for as little as Mewis has played in the last couple of national team games, isn't this surely her shot right now to finally get on the field? I mean, this is her shot. Um, and and I don't I, – I remember, I think it was this time last year where in the pre-She Believes conference call, Jill said something about how she likes players to have 30 caps before they go to a tournament and everybody jumped on that. But Oh, how do you get 30 caps? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I don't I don't feel that's as necessary <clears throat> as she may think it is or or maybe as it used to be in in, in the past. Um and that that's why I like that we do have this this big schedule this spring, I mean, when this schedule came out, there were some people going, oh, my God, that's so many games. Well, it's actually the same amount of games that was played leading up to the 2015 Women's World Cup. It's spread out a little differently, you know, so that having some games earlier, um, giving her a chance to play tougher teams, too, you know, especially doing She Believes instead of Algarve Cup to, to help her make those tough decisions. I mean, you know, watching that game against France and, and seeing Emily Fox get, get burned on that on that flank, it's, it's like, yeah, it's a tough thing to see, but that was a learning opportunity for her and, you know, a, a clear sign for Jill of like, okay, here's a player who's up and coming but's not ready. You know, um, go ahead. No, I, I don't think anybody's ever going to find the proof that uh, Ellis was doing a little bit of gamesmanship in that France game. But didn't they all magically show up for the Spain game four days later after they lost? Uh, right, but I would but I would still say, well, yeah, we don't need to go down that road. But, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It's interesting. You know, it, and it, it's – I don't blame Ellis for doing what she did. I might have pulled Fox at halftime instead of five minutes into the second half. But um, no, look, I agree with you on the learning on the learning experience stuff. The thing that, that concerns me more, and I've been going on about this for a long time now, and everybody knows it, and some people agree with me, and some people don't care, and so be it. That's life on Twitter anymore. If you're going to play theoretically, Haran, Lavelle, and Ertz as your midfield triangle, 
against Brazil, England, Japan, France, the Netherlands, Australia, etc. I'm not convinced that's enough defense. I'm just not, especially against better teams. And it's part of why I've been on the Mewis bandwagon. And I tried to ask the question when I was at the Tournament of Nations in Chicago last summer, and I did a fairly mealy mouth job of it. And uh, I'm going to get another shot in a couple of weeks when when the circus comes to my neck of the woods for the first night of the She Believes Cup. And that's one of the questions that I'm going to ask, because I think that there are not all that many questions about this team at this point, honestly. If everybody's healthy, we know most of what the lineup is. We know right. they can create. We know they can score goals. And for the most part, we know they can defend. But that midfield triangle, I think, is one of the biggest questions. How you, how you line it up so that there's enough offense and enough defense. And I'm, I've said before, and everybody's probably gotten sick of me saying it, I still think that if it was up to me, I'd play Haran at the 10, Mewis in the 8, and Ertz at the 6, and I'd go win the World Cup because I don't think anybody either stops Haran and Mewis in the attack plus what Ertz can contribute. And I don't think anybody gets past Ertz and Mewis defensively. I just don't. And I know it knocks Roosevelt off the field and maybe makes her a substitute, and she's not the kind of player who you can, you know, throw on the field and, and uh, you know, have it all, you know, have her just, you know, make an instant impact in 30 seconds. She's got to get in the rhythm of the game because that's what that position dictates a little bit. I get that. But it's still the choice I'd make because I think it's the combination that wins the World Cup. I, I really like what, what you're envisioning. Um, and I think it's important for us to remember that usually it's not one lineup that wins the whole tournament. You know, um, I think when we've got many different styles of play and, and you can never know what's going to happen injury wise or, or other circumstances. Hey, if we've got, you know, multiple systems for that, for that middle, I, I think that makes us an even better team or, or maybe I'm just naive. No, I don't think you're naive. I think it makes, I think it makes sense. The question just becomes, you know, I'm certainly you can play, you can play different, you know, sort of horses for courses as the old saying goes. If you're playing, if you're playing, you know, Thailand and Chile and some other teams and you want to just go put three goals in the net, in the first 15 minutes and be done with it. <laughs> then you can play Haran, yeah. Lavelle, and Ertz. You know? Yeah. But I just don't think that against France and some other teams that can really go at you in the midfield. And frankly, we saw, I think we saw Brazil do it in the Tournament of Nations. We saw Australia do it a little bit. We saw Japan do it some, and we obviously you know, saw France do it last month. Um and then as, as and that was when you had you know Lavelle Horan and Ertz on the field, and then when 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 they you know pulled off whether it was Lavelle or I think it was usually Lavelle for either Zerboni or Mewis, all those opposing charges on down the field just stopped dead in their tracks. And at a certain point, even though the the aesthetically minded among us are going to complain. You got to decide that that's what you're going to do. Stop the opponent, and you'll still, I think, have a, more than enough offense both on the field and on the bench. If you're bringing Christ, uh, Kristen Press, Carly Lloyd, you know, possibly Jessica McDonald if she makes it, and Mallory Pugh or Mallory Pugh, you know, off the bench, and then you have Zerboni, you know, to lock things down. 
Who would beat that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I liked about the, the CONCACAF tournament was other than one game, we saw basically Jill's preferred starting lineup at the time. Right. Yeah. I've heard, you know, I know there's an element of people out there who are done with Carly Lloyd. And I know there's a peop- lot of people out there who are either less done with Carly Lloyd or in Carly Lloyd's case refuse to be done, which is her right because she's a professional athlete. And that's how things work. She's got every right to stand up for herself. And I think I think she is getting there on this backup striker role. You know, in the times that I've talked to her, you know, not that she's all the way there yet, but I think she's, as I said, starting to get there and, and you know, see where she fits in. And what I will be, what I am sure of is that there is not a team on earth, up to and including France, that is not going to get a little rattle when they see her warming up and coming in off the bench. Yeah, I mean, there's still a value uh, to a player like that, even if, you know, even if they're not starting. I mean, I I think the biggest challenge is for Carly herself of, you know, she can't be happy not starting. You don't want any player who's happy not starting. Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's where, you know, I know everybody likes to have their their favorites and their not favorites, but, you know, it's... I, I, of course, as people know, deal with men's soccer and lots of other sports. And my job editing the Inquirer's sports website online. And, and, you know, people complain about the latest examples here in Philadelphia are Carson Wentz and Jimmy Butler. Their egos are too big. Well, guess what? They're professional athletes. You don't get there if you don't have a big ego. That's just yeah. the way it is. Yeah. No, that, that that's a really good point. Well, let's, let's talk about a couple other players. Um, of course, my favorite topic, um, you know, we've just got one uncapped player on on this roster. And of course, it's Adriana Franch. Um, we've never taken an uncapped keeper to an Olympics or World Cup. Is she going to get a cap in She Believes? Well, I don't know. But what I do know, and I know, uh, Jen, you know this too, is that I have a very bad habit of asking people direct questions. So I think <laughs> you do. It's awesome. <laughs> I think that when Joellis gets here, I might ask her that. And that's when we'll get an answer. Yeah. Because that, that it, it's so important, and I know I have run it a lot, but um, I just think it's, it, it's, it's strange that we're leaving that, we're leaving that so late. I mean, it seems pretty clear that she is Jill's number three you know, over Jane, who seems to be, you know, the alternate for, 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 for this summer. Um, it, it's just strange. And especially knowing that the regular season doesn't start until mid April. It's not like there's really an opportunity for a player to have a, a strong beginning of the season and, and sneak in that roster. When you look back to 2015, Mid-April is about when Jill said, okay, I'm cutting the final two, so now here's the final 23. Well, it is, it is, uh, it is, uh, it is worth stepping back, I think, for a moment, at least, and saying that there was a point in time when we were not sure the French was going to secure the number three point on. Yes, definitely. But I think, and and I'd say too, if she's going to play, even though the weather on that night is probably going to be horrendous, 
and you know so on and so forth. I'm going to bet the Japan game is the game to play in because I'm going to heaven knows what the Brazil game is going to be because they're always bonkers. Yeah. And the England game is probably going to be one nothing, and I'm not sure that in either of those you're going to want to sub your goalkeeper at 60 or 75 minutes. So I wonder if the Japan game is the one to do it. No, I, th- I think that makes sense, and and I know, I know fans generally don't like this, and 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 of course, like we've been talking about, it's not like you ever want your team to be okay with with not winning. But I would think in the back of her mind, I would hope that Jill would be like, "Hey, if I have to sacrifice the She Believes Cup for for the sake of the World Cup, hey, I mean, if you had to pick, sure. I'd pick the World Cup, you know." Um, Sure, although I think in yeah. this case, they've still got a little bit of a stick in the crawl about the France game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. But but and, but I think your your analysis of, like, if you're going to do it, it's probably best in in the Japan game. I think that totally makes sense. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I could see her, you know, just playing there all three games and – Maybe France gets one of the the April friendlies, but it's just you know it's really I mean it's really kind of too late to to do anything about it. Um, one other question for you, Jonathan: What do you think about Haley Mace, who was in the twenty for the Concacaf tournament? Um, you know she's she's not on this roster, and you know hasn't been part of uh, part of anything since. Since Concacaf, um, you know, she's probably left off in November to to stay with her college team. You know, she was drafted uh, in, in January and immediately went down under uh, to play with Australia. Which to me, I I I read that as like this is a way to say, hey Jill, I'm staying with the team. I'm staying in shape. I'm not waiting for a preseason. It it says to me more than anything, that everybody else is healthy, I think. Um, I'm less worried about it than others are. I, I, I generally think, you know, you'd better be Tierna Davidson level exceptional would be called into the senior national team's collegiate at this point and be playing games of consequence. Gotcha. So I don't think much of it. Okay, so that was, and, that was, that was her... So CONCACAF was her like, hey, you're on the fringe here. But of course, obviously, we had a lot of people um, coming back from injury or dealing with injury during CONCACAF. So so she's a player of the future. Right. And I think, you know, again, we're, we're casting out here for X number of players for one or two spots on the World Cup squad. You're judging Mace in a way against players who are not at all defenders. You're judging Mace against Colaprico and McDonald and a few others. And you gotta figure out, you know, where you're gonna where you're gonna put your focus and whether you're gonna decide that, you know, if if you think you've got enough other players you know, who are healthy in terms of defenders, then and let's note by the way, Crystal Dunn played what Crystal Dunn played as what, like the 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 eight ish slash ten slash something against France. Do I remember that right? I, I don't remember. 
she, she was playing like an attacking midfield practically because that was, that was when I think when Emily Fox was the left back. Crystal Dunn is, is quite clearly listed as defender on this roster. So, uh, you know, if, if these seven defenders that I'm looking at are the seven they go with, I don't think any of them are getting, you know, knocked off unless they're injured. So take that for what it's worth. And I, and I think it's it's important to remember too, and, and you're kind of mentioning that with you know what Mace is competing against. It's not the best twenty three players that you take. It's it's you know you need a certain amount of each position, and of course, different coaches. You know, some go heavier on midfield, some go heavier on defense, um, and also you're looking at who's who's most versatile you know, um, and, and chemistry and leadership kind of issues. So it's, I, I, I love that it's getting harder and harder to choose and that we have, I, I believe more depth than we've ever had before. Oh, I think absolutely. And if you, in terms of the balance, if you count the wingers as forwards, which U S soccer does, and, and some people I know don't. So the wingers are Heath, Pew and Lupino in that sense, and arguably pressed, but that's a, whole other hour worth of your show. Uh, there are seven defenders, six midfielders, and seven forwards. That's pretty darn balanced. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I want you to tell us um, how wonderful the weather is going to be in Philadelphia for the first doubleheader of of She Believes. Because we're, what, two weeks away? Yeah. I looked at it, and the the far out forecast says that it's not going to snow that night. So <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's just what the far out forecast says. I couldn't tell you what it's actually going to be like. It's probably going to be cold. That's for sure. Um, and actually I think if you are buying tickets on the premise of seeing every single one of the top players for the U.S. against Japan. Given that the weather was cited as one of the reasons why some of those minor injuries were reason enough to keep a couple players off the field, if it's really cold that night, I wonder how that's going to affect things. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if there are a couple different cards played in that game if it's really cold or windy or so on. Um, Because the... uh, Certainly, the weather in La Havre for that France game was prime hamstring-popping weather. Yeah. So. Well, and I, I was really pleased to see in the schedule part of the press release for She Believes Today that it looks like all three of the non-USA games will be streamed live on USsoccer.com. That's yeah, huge. Which is, yes. Well, and they've done that before. They just didn't announce it three weeks in advance. So quite right. Them for right. announcing them three weeks in advance. Um, I, you know, I said in the story that I wrote, you know, I realize it's a weekday and it's going to be a nuisance. You're talking for the top 10 teams in the world, uh, coming to this neck of the woods and hopefully folks will show up for the first game because, you know, you'd like to think that the women's soccer crowd in, in, in this, uh, in this area pays a little bit of attention to teams beyond the U S but I guess we'll find out. Yeah, it, it's tough. That's a four o'clock kick. England versus Brazil, you know, USA, Japan at, at seven. But, you know, I, I do feel that we're starting to get that, that world cup fever. I mean, 
with the Australian news kind of going worldwide and, and a lot of big tournaments coming up. And, you know, I, I hope that it does, you know, it, it, it does get its due. Um, and, and I'm glad that this cycle, we've got this tournament here as opposed to 2015, they were in the Algarve. At least we got to watch those games because it was rare that you could watch the Algarve Cup games live, but Fox televised them in 2015. But, you know, I, I think it's a great way to build momentum for the tournament. Oh, I, I, I think that's right. And I think, you know, it's a testament to how much growth there's been over the last four years. It's a testament that some of the players who are out there on, on other national teams in this, and obviously Marta is going to be at the top of the list if she's on Brazil's roster, have a little bit of name recognition now among the American fan base. And you and I both know full well, Jen, what the last piece of the puzzle is, which is that a lot of us uh, who are the, uh, you know, lessen the quality of the crowd when we're in the press box because we're the lowlights of the world. Uh <laughs> You know, uh, uh, as I like to say, the miscreant section of the stadium. Uh, a lot of us don't know yet if we're going to France this summer, and that's one of the last big questions some of us have to answer. So, Yeah. Well, JT, thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy newsroom day to talk women's soccer, and I look forward to, to seeing a lot more news coming from you, and hopefully, hopefully a trip to France for you. Well, thank you, and uh, hopefully a trip to Philadelphia for you in not all that much time. I've got a couple big stories that i got to work on between now and then, and every once in a while I realize how little time I have to do it. So. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Chris Hoffman, all the way from down under enjoying his vacation complete with the press conferences and grand finals. I mean, Chris, you played this first be down all of the stuff that's happening. You're my my go to Australian guru, so it's perfect to be down there right now. Yeah, it's tough working out. I'm sure, you know, I don't think uh, any of us expected uh, what happened with the Matildas to happen or even really expected W League to shake out the way it ended up shaking out. Uh, but it's been, a, been an exciting couple months down here for uh, women's football. So let's talk first about uh, the Matildas and, and all the big news that's that's been hitting on that level lately. You know, first we had the announcement that Australia was uh, getting rid of, of, of Alan Kaysick, and, and that I think was a surprise to everyone because it, it didn't seem to be on the rise. And yeah. and then and then what's what's happened since? There doesn't seem to be any explanation of of why. Like part of it reminds me a little bit of Tom Tremonti sacking back in 2014. Um, but there seems to be something more going on with this. So, you know, what did you think when you first heard the announcement that he was being terminated as coach? And then tell us about you. Did you go to the presser? Did you watch the presser that, that they just had? That he just had. Yeah, I watched it. Fox uh, Sports Australia aired it live, at least as much as they could. A bit of a technical glitch for about a minute. Uh, but they were able to keep us updated on what was happening while that happened. Um, you know, what I thought when it first happened, and this is, this is something that Dadjic touched on 
finished pretty yesterday, my first thought is, oh my God, something's happened. Um, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of that. Um, we think of England. Um, you know, we've seen plenty of managers brought down because they've done something wrong. Um, and my first thought was, oh my God, that seems completely out of character for Alan. Um, but you know, I don't know him that well. Uh, first thought, and that's sad. Um, and Alan talked about that in the press conference yesterday. That you know, my reputation's ruined. People think I've done something. Um, and the FFA made it pretty clear that there wasn't a thing. Like it wasn't that he did something bad, and they're firing him because of misconduct. Um, they basically fired him without cause. Um, and um, the whole debate's going to rage on about what triggered it. Um, FFA ostensibly say it's because they ran a serve, ran a survey, and that survey came up saying there were problems in the team. Um, and that's been kind of the raging issue here in Australia um, ever since the sacking was what is this survey, what happened. Um, but it seems to be all the result of a survey um, that, you know, since that it's come out that it was a survey monkey survey, it wasn't secured, anybody could have gone in there and entered information. Um, oh, my gosh. And it's, it's been a whole ordeal. Um, you know, you or I could have opened that survey and put answers in there. Um, Stadget said in his press conference yesterday that he signed off on the survey, like any leader, like anyone trying to be the best at what they do in the world. You want to improve and you want to see the area doing so well. So Stadget agreed to do the survey. They presented him with the questions. He um, gave supposedly gave um, feedback on that, including correcting spelling mistakes. Um, <laughs> and, and then, uh, and then the survey went out, um, went out through, through this insecure method. Um, we don't know who answered the survey. Um, Stadjic himself brought up concerns that, you know, they may have been people that he wasn't seeing. Um, and so, you know, you can understand people who are selected probably don't get along that well um, right. with the manager. Um, but, you know, since then, people that Stadjic has dropped have come out and defended him. Um, so it's it's not really clear, um, you know, who necessarily did it. It's clear that all the all the uh, poor players of the squad are all behind Stadjic. And, you know, ad- admittedly, and this is another bad thing for me to say, um, my first thought was, oh, Lisa Devani done it again. Um, you know, we, she's had a history, uh, of destabilizing Matilda's squads. Um, admittedly, a very long time ago. Um, she's matured a lot over the last decade. Uh, but my first, Lisa Devana. Yeah. She was one of the first people to come out and say, and say that she supported Stadjic. So it's, it's really got us all stumped. Um, I don't think we're any closer to getting answers out of it. The FFA, he released a statement after Stadjic's press conference last night saying they were surprised. Um, he himself admitted to problems with the squad, um, which he didn't in his press conference. Um, the FFA said he did in a private meeting. Um, basically, he found out the morning that he was fired. There were issues with him. A few hours later, he was fired. Um interesting it's clear he wasn't given any warnings he wasn't given any, yeah. any 
um, notification that things need to improve. Um, he wasn't told that there was anything wrong with how he was behaving. Um, you know, players weren't told that there were issues until he was fired. Um, it, it, it's a mess. It really is a mess. Um, and, you know, Australian soccer Twitter doesn't unite on very many things. One was Hakeem al who just got released from Thailand. Um, right. and, and this, that the Stadgers thing is wrong. Um, that's it. In, in all my years of being involved in the court in Australia, I've never seen, um, Twitter unite over issues before. And they really are united over this. People aren't, people aren't happy. There was actually a, um, a panel show on Fox Sports yesterday. Uh, and the main thing they talked about, well, the two main things they talked about were the female already and Stadich and all the feedback that they were getting from people watching the show was, um, you know, calls for an independent review. Um, some people were calling for a royal commission. Um, which is kind of our version of a congressional hearing. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's, it's intense and, and people are angry and, and the FFA have just handled it so poorly. There are ways to handle this where they could have moved forward. Um, right. but they're just refusing to share any information. You know, anytime people ask, well, you know, what, what was the issue? Um, they say, well, you know, that was a confidential survey and we don't want to breach confidentiality. Um, and it just seems completely the wrong way to handle it. So they, they could easily just come out and say, look, these are the findings. This is why we did what we did. Um, and it wouldn't, would it be satisfactory for most people? No, but it would be better than what they're doing right now. Just stonewalling everything. Um, people are calling for a complete overhaul of the board. Um, it's, it's getting completely out of control. And I, I don't know where they go to from here and, and how much this destabilizes the squad going forward. Well, and the timing I find really strange that, that why did they need to do the survey then? What was the thought behind doing the survey then? And that immediately getting rid of a coach when, you know, unless someone else had come out separately and said, there's a big issue you need to look into, but then, then they should be more transparent about it. And even if you've done this confidential survey, if it's confidential, that means that the people's responses aren't tied to their names, which means you could still share some of the results without revealing who it was that said some things. Yeah, exactly. You could easily say, you know, this is what we found on the whole, this percentage of players that fits, um, without necessarily saying, you know, this player said this, you know, Emily right. Van Egmond said, you know, like nobody's going to even know that information. Like you said, if the survey is coming off, I don't know. Um, but they just refuse to release any of that. And that's just making the situation an already bad situation worse. And the timing, yeah, I think, I think Stedjic talked about it well yesterday, sort of saying that he would, you know, he wanted the team to be as prepared for the World Cup as possible and with a strong Australia really for the first time as a real contender for the tournament. Right. Uh, they, he thought that this would be good to see whether there are things that need to be improved. You know, is there a training method that's not working? Is there, is there something in the way we're talking that needs to change? Is there, is there a way we can better motivate players? Is there a way we can train better? 
um, you know, can the PFA be providing more support? Um, things like that. PFA is the, uh, the union for Australian players. Right. Uh, right. Women, for those um, and so it's, uh, you know, it was, it was done to give the side all the data they needed to be best prepared for the World Cup. And in the end, it seemed to have completely blown up the World Cup. Uh, you know, they're still going to go there with high expectations. I think people are still going to expect good things and expect this to be the best World Cup Australia has ever had. Right. Um, but whether people are expecting them to win anymore, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's still the same squad. Um, right. So it's not like the plan changed. Um, they're still capable, but the big question is who comes in? Um, and you know, there's still a big movement for Stagic to get reinstated. Um, and that could still conceivably happen. You know, we, we didn't see this happening. So the idea that Stadjic couldn't get reinstated isn't, you know, isn't outside the realm of possibility. Or maybe the players rally around this, you know, unfortunate situation, and it's it's something that you know makes them tougher as a team, or is you know is the is the the greater challenge that they rise to. You know, adversity sometimes does that. And and it's it's funny too. This also reminds me of the big controversy in the 2007 Women's World Cup when Hoopsola was benched in favor of Brianna Scurry with no warning from the coach, and you know it caused so much controversy in so many directions. But it also, I felt at the time, raised uh, the consciousness of women's soccer. I mean, it, of, of the random fan to women's soccer that. It wasn't a, isn't this inspiring to little girls storyline? It was a, this is a sport and this is a sporting controversy and everybody wants to weigh in. Uh, you know, it's, this is something as, as you're well aware is not confined strictly to Australian Twitter or Australian news. It's, it's pretty big elsewhere as well. Yeah, it's been massive. And then from an Australian perspective, from an Australian media perspective, at least, it's, it's been the perfect time because um, Rugby League and Rugby Union are both off. Um, AFL, of the rules, is off. The Australian cricket team is terrible. Um, and so it's just been, there's been no other real sports news um, apart from cricket, which, you know, has all been really depressing for Australian cricket fans. So, They've, they've had this just wall to wall coverage and it's, you know, it's, it's been impressive. I haven't seen, you know, women's football covered like this in Australia, maybe ever. Um, even wow. the World Cup won their first knockout game. You know, I, I don't think I've seen this kind of coverage ever. And it's for, like you said, a real sporting controversy. Like this is, yeah, it's, it's building the profile of the sport. And the, the sad thing is, this has been probably one of the best. W League seasons we've ever had. And this is just taking the gloss off of what's been a spectacular finish to the season. And, you know, Stadjic made it clear he's, you know, behind the team and he's going to support the team. Like he said, he said he got offers last year from other national teams. Um, could only speculate what those are. Um, and he turned them down because he was passionate about his country. Um, right. And he was asked on Fox Sports yesterday, um, you know, do you regret turning those offers down now? And he said, no, said, you know, I'm still passionate about Australia and, and you know, I don't regret turning those down. So, you know, it's, it's sad for him. You know, he's, he's given a lot of himself to this game. You know, everybody's got 
stories about Dagic, you know, when he was coaching Sydney FC and he was still working a full-time job and coaching the W League team, um, you know, scraping by. He um, bought one of his imports, a, a second-hand car, so they could get around while they were here. Um, nice. You know, the guys given everything for women's football in this country and to be treated the way he was is, is really disappointing. Um, and, it, you know, in some respects it shows the FFA is largely run by people who don't understand the sport and, and don't follow the sport, um, and that's a problem. Um, but it also shows, you know, the professionalism of, of the sport has changed in Australia. There's, you know, it used to be a, you know, a boys club or a, you know, a, this niche group that people couldn't get into, and now it's a, it's a more open tent. And that's, you know, that's a good thing. Uh, but unfortunately, these things happen because there's no, um, there's no attachment and there's no basic things in context sometimes. Um, so a lot's going on. Um, we'll see what happens um, and who takes this, this job. I don't know who would take it uh, in this context. And I, I find it really unfortunate that it, it felt like the Federation had been doing more and more for the Matildas, like more home games that were having really great attendance numbers, you know, a website where you can buy the jerseys and even have them shipped internationally, uh, starting off the, the Cup of Nations, you know, during the upcoming FIFA break where they're going to play New Zealand, South Korea, Thailand. It, it's, it's such a shame that you know, some things they were doing right, but this, this, you know, clouds over all. Yeah, and that's that's the big problem. There's been so much progress in women's football in Australia in the past several years under Stajic as as the manager of the women's team, and and we see this um this this complete backward step because yeah, the W League was getting promotion. Um, getting independent promotion from the A-League, which hasn't really happened that much. Um, you know, the, the women's team was playing more home games and this is, you know, that's unheard of. You know, you, you'd maybe see the Matilda, maybe four home games a year. Um, if that, cause they'd be off, you know, playing in Europe or playing the United States. States and Canada and Mexico, you know, it's playing home friendlies is pretty rare. And and now they're doing a lot of it. They're doing this this tournament coming up in a in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, it's all things, and then to have it just completely blown up by this. Now, what cities will be hosting the? To, yeah, what cities will be hosting the Cup of Nations? Yeah, they're all East Coast. Um, it's. Uh, I know Sydney's got one. Uh, Cogra, uh, which is a suburb of Sydney, is uh, is hosting the first set of games. Um, I believe Melbourne has one. I can pull up my thing. I have it right here. Um, so yeah, New South Wales, Queensland, and Victoria. So yeah, Sydney, Brisbane, and Melbourne um, nice. are, are hosting games. All East Coast, all pretty easy to travel um, for the teams. Not that it would really bother Australia and Argentina to travel. Uh, New Zealand, they're used to traveling in Australia. And, you know, Korea, they play in Asia. There's a lot of traveling involved when you play Asian football. So, um, I think any travel is going to be difficult for those teams. And, you know, they're all 
still teams that have to get used to it because the World Cup's coming up and you're going to have to travel in the World Cup. So I think there's still there's still a lot of excitement for that tournament. You know, we've not seen a tournament like that um, in Australia since the Asian Cup was hosted here um, about a decade ago. So it's um, there's still excitement around that, but obviously there's this tinge of um, you know what could have been, and there's going to be a lot of attention on it now because. Presumably, well, they probably won't have the uh, the new manager put in in time. So I believe uh, Van Egmond's going to be coaching the team. He's um, stuff basically resolved. Well, and that, that, that's another strange thing to me that you've got the father of one of the players on the coaching staff in any way, shape, or form. But maybe you can add some context to that. Um, yeah, it, it's, there's a lot of attention to it. I think this will be the biggest tournament, you know, the most attention a, um, a Matildas friendly has gotten, um, except for maybe the, uh, the time when they beat the US. Um, this will probably be the biggest just because it's going to tell us a lot about where the team is going. Um, right. And, and I think that's, Important, you know, if they, if they, they're going to be expected to cruise through this tournament, um, you know, um, but with the drama, I think, uh, I think it'll be, it won't be surprising if they don't walk this, you know, especially New Zealand coached by Tom Samani, who obviously, um, is a big figure in Australian football, um, and that'll be an interesting game and, um, that's always been a big rivalry and always will be. So it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see how that goes. I think, I think a lot of people were hoping Australia would draw New Zealand, uh, in the World Cup. Uh, didn't happen. We've got the group of green and gold. Uh, uh-huh. but, uh, but I think that game's going to be really interesting. I think that whole tournament's going to be interesting. Australia should be expected to win. Uh, but with all of this, you know, they could lose all three games and, and people in the throat. There was a, it was interesting. Mark Bosnich, former Socceroos, Manchester United goalkeeper, um, brought up, you know, the potential of a strike, um, over the Stagic dismissal. I don't think it'll get that far, but it's a, an interesting thing to, to contemplate. You know, if the players, yes, are passionate about it and really want Stagic back, a strike right at the Tournament of Nations would be, sorry, the Cup of Nations. I call it the Tournament of Nations. Um, would be a um would be a heck of a way to to make that point. Um so we'll see. It's it's a lot going on. The players aren't happy, um the fans aren't happy, the the coaches union isn't happy. Um yeah, you know, there's bound to be a lawsuit. And how successful that is, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Um it sounds like um the FFA may have Done everything, um, well, maybe not ethically great. Um, they may have written the contract in such a way that, that they could make this move. Um, basically it sounds like there was a clause in the contract where they could, um, pay him out. Um, they could pay him the sum of money to terminate his contract without cause. And that's what they did. Um, so legally, I don't know if it still has much of a case. Um, gotcha. But again, not a lawyer, haven't seen the contract, um, but he's bound to pursue it. Um, 
And he, and he, sure, you know, everybody's unhappy yeah. about it. Well, um, there's a space open on the FFA board now. Um, so there's an open seat on the board and maybe someone comes in that brings sense to the situation. I don't know when they're going to fill that seat. Though. Well, and b- bottom line, this is only the beginning of the story. Like, you can tell there's there's going to be a lot more to come, a lot more to hopefully be be revealed. So let's move on to talking W League, which, you know, this weekend will be the grand final of what is the 11th season, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yep, so we had Melbourne victory, not Melbourne City, Melbourne victory win the regular season for the first time. But they're not going to be in the grand final because of an, another Sam Kerr hat trick in, in the semis. So let's talk first about about the semifinals. We had Melbourne victory lose to Perth Glory, and then Sydney defeated Brisbane War two one. So it'll be a Melbourne, sorry, it'll be a Perth Glory versus Sydney FC final, and you're going to be going to that final, right? Yeah, luckily it's it's in Sydney. I thought there was absolutely no chance of uh, of the final uh, being hosted by Sydney because I thought you know one of Melbourne Victory or Brisbane Raw would win um, the semis, and neither of them did, um, which shows how good I am at predicting things. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's they these semifinals were yeah pretty pretty insane. Um, Especially the Melbourne Victory Perth Glory final was absolutely nuts. You know, Nan scored two minutes in for victory and you thought, oh, well, here we go. You know, business as usual for Melbourne Victory. Um, but of course, you know, Sam Kerr, um, the best player in the world, I don't care what Pete says, um, is playing for Perth Glory and yeah, scored another hat trick, including this, this weird goal that scored with the back of a foot while falling over. Um, <laughs> it was, and everybody's just like, yep. That makes sense. Um, you know, it's Sam Kerr does that. It was an interesting game, the victory game. You know, it was a goal in the second minute and then Sam Kerr didn't score until the 74. Um, and when she scored in the 74, he thought, yeah, okay, extra time. Um, then Hill popped up, scored in the 86. You know, it just came alive in the last 15 minutes, um, of regular time. You know, she scored. Perth scored in the 74th, then Hill scored in the 86th, and you thought, oh, Perth, like I thought, well, that's it, Perth's through. Um, and then in the fourth minute of stoppage time, this Perth let their guard down, conceded, um, and we went to extra time when Sam Perth popped up and scored a brace. Um, it was, yeah, it was a really crazy game. It was back and forward. Um, you know, there were times when you thought Victory had it, and there were times when you thought Glory had it. Once, once Sam Perth scored, the goal in this time, I think, you know, you really thought that was it. And obviously, Victory pushed forward um, to try and get, you know, an equaliser to, to at least push the penalties, which left the space open um, for Perth to take advantage. Um, you know, Perth has been knocking on the door um, for a while. Um, you know, they, they missed out on the playoffs last year, and, you know, that surprised us. And, now they've, they've made the big dance and it's, it's been a great year for, for Perth, um, for their whole club. You know, their, their men's team is, is top of the league. Um, and, you know, Perth Glory's, um, for those unfamiliar, an historic club in Australia. They, they, um, were in the precursor to the, to the A-League, the National Soccer League. That's what we call it soccer here. And, 
and they won the last ever NFL championship. And and so it's, it's been exciting for those of us who've been around the sport in Australia for a long time to see Perth Glory um, really making strides across their club. Um, you know, it's been fantastic. And it's been great to see all the clubs in Australia really treating their team as as one one club. You know, the, the women's team is equal to the men's team. And that's been really exciting to see, um, in part due to the growth of sport. You know, a Jets fan got angry that the Jets weren't calling the team the Jets women. And, um, they responded to his comment telling him to take his support elsewhere. Um, because they're one team. Um, I thought that was fantastic. And we're seeing a lot of that in, in Australian football right now. Um, so very happy for Perth Glory. It's been a great year for them across the board. And, and Sam Kerr, you know, maybe, you know, gets a shot at winning a W League championship, which would be phenomenal. Of course, she's a top scorer again by a long way because she of always course. is. Yeah, <laughs> and not even not even including that hat trick in the semifinals, she still had the golden boot for the regular mm-hmm. season. Yeah, so. yeah. So I think next nearest was nine, which was a three way tie between Dowie Ford and Leicester. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's Sam Kerr doing Sam Kerr things, and I'm sure she's going to do something spectacular again in the uh. In the final, whether it wins them the trophy or not, that's hard to tell. Sydney's a good team. Um, they coached well and, uh, it'll be interesting to see. The, the Brisbane per- Sydney game went probably a little more, certainly more normal. Um, you know, Ford in the 33rd, Perthra in the 68th, Brisbane could only manage the consolation goal in stoppage time. Um, there was re- one really fascinating play where, um, Brisbane, in the wall, ducked down and bobbed up to try and distract the taker. Um, it evidently worked because she launched it high and wide, um, went up and shook their hands after the play. So if you get a chance, um, it's on the highlight. They, uh, uh-huh. you know, similar to what a goalkeeper does on a, on a penalty, the Brisbane Raw, Raw Wall did on a free kick. Um, never seen that before. Never seen it at the professional level. Um, but it worked. It got the job done. I so, think I retweeted it, it yesterday. It's a really it funny was, video. It's You're very like, funny. What are they doing? But it is a good way, I, I would think, to distract the kicker. Yeah, it evidently worked. I mean, you could see she was focused and she was trying, but there's this little smirk on her face. Um, you know, as she tries to take this free kick. Um, I don't know if a goal, as a goalkeeper, I'd be a fan of it. Uh, but yeah, hey, it, it worked. I don't know if we'll see teams doing this regularly. Um, but, uh, the W League, innovating women's football. Um, so, you know, it's, but it's set up a, it's set up an exciting game. You know, Perth, Perth and Sydney, uh, are two good teams. The, the one funny backstory to this is that the two managers, Bobby Destitovsky for for Perth and, uh, Ante Juric for Sydney, uh, met as players 16 years ago in the, in an NSL grand final. And so now they're going to play each other. As managers in a, in a W League grand final. It's just a, you know, fun backstory. And for the same cities, obviously Sydney FC didn't exist back then, but Perth Glory, um, Bobby Dissentosky was a big player for them. Um, so it's, uh, just a fun little backstory there. Australian football, you know, it's, it's got more history than people realize, I think. And, you know, it's, it's obviously a little sad for, for Melbourne. Um, you know, their best season ever. They do get a trophy. Um, but they don't get the, uh, the championship, which is the one everybody, everybody talks about. Um, but you know, they were number one for much of the season. Um, we have to, 
you know, say hats off to Melbourne Victory. Their recruitment was was phenomenal. They built a really great team, a strong team, and and they deserve probably to be remembered more than they will. Um, but it was a it was a great season at WE, you know. Um, Victory in the end got away with it and took it by four points. But the gap between second and second last is only seven points. Um, I was looking at the table and I. I knew it came down to the final weekend uh, to eliminate Melbourne City, but I guess I hadn't noticed that it really came down to a tiebreaker. So Melbourne yes. City finishing fifth just out of the semifinals. And I had seen on Twitter a lot of people just like, I don't care who goes through as long as it's not Melbourne City. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, you know, City have dominated uh, right. for a long time. And I, and I think it's good. It's a, it's a bunch of City fans won't like you saying that. You know, like, I think it's good that, that they've missed this one because it shows how um, the game in Australia has improved. You know, Melbourne City came in and they right, bossed it. Right. They, they had money. They had Manchester City behind them and and they bossed it for a long time. And now they're missing the playoffs because the parity has improved in Australia and, and the standard has improved. Professionalism has gone up. And I think we've yes. been um, Tom Samani and, and Alan Stadwich for that. Um, so we've seen all these teams are fully professional now and that, that's exciting, you know. And obviously the Wanderers disappointing on the picking up a win and a draw and a win and a draw. And, you know, as a Central Coast Mariners fan on the men's side, I, I probably can't throw stones. Um, but that's, you know, that's disappointing. Um, but it's, it's exciting. The rest of the league was phenomenally tight. You know, there were only 11 points between first and second last. Um, over a whole season and that thing. Everybody, yeah, everybody except the Wanderers and surprisingly Melbourne City, um, spent time in the playoff places, even Cambridge United who ended up finishing second line. Um, they were, you know, first in the second week of the season. Um, what's really surprising is the only other team that was never in the playoff places is Melbourne City. They were never in the playoff places all season. Um, wow. at least at the end of the round. Um, the fifth was the closest they got all all season. So, you know, Melbourne City, um, maybe a wake up call for them that the game improved and they've perhaps stood still. Um, but also, you know, the player pools being more spread out than it used to be. Um, we're seeing, you know, improving players and players coming up, you know, I'm excited by Princess Sabini. She scored four goals for Sydney FC. Um, and she got the young player of the weird, young player of the year award. Yeah. 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 And she's, I mean, she's a phenomenal player. Um, I'm really excited to see her development coming along. Um, yeah, and, and the W League's attracting better imports as well. And I think that's only good for, for the game as a whole. Um, oh yeah. Looking, looking at the, just the end of result players, you know, on, on the semifinal teams, you know, Christine Nair, Nair, Sam Johnson, Danny Weatherholt, Alyssa Mott, you know, I mean, on and on and on, and and then of course you have the foreign players beyond just to play an individual challenge. It's a great prospect across the board. Yeah, it's it's and those that's just the two things that made it. You know, there's there's phenomenal players across this league. It's been for mine the best season of the WWE um, that we've had, and I think I say that every year. I think I come on this show <laughs> and I say best season of the WWE. Um, but this year, you know, I think this boy's year looked out of the water. The standard's gone up. I really made... noticed that at the beginning of the season, like the way they launched the, the schedule and the jerseys and, and 
you know, more broadcast coverage. And I've been able to watch the game through to the football app. You know, it's, yeah, it's great. I think the, the only disappointing thing was Brisbane Royal Sydney wasn't televised. Um, yeah. So, you know, despite those positives, for whatever reason, SBS didn't televise. They had already committed to another show, and I think they were contracted to air it. So, um, you know, you can't do anything about that necessarily. And they still aired it through that My Football app, like you said. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, but it's been, yeah, an absolutely phenomenal season, and we've seen some, you know, stunning results this year. and and maybe we'll say something great on uh, on Saturday afternoon. Well, and let's let's talk about that that grand final. Um, you're going to be going. I know you already have your ticket. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so so what do you what do you what do you expect from this matchup? Oh, uh, you know, it's it's uh it's a tough one to call. Uh, every time I predict something about the W League, I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Sydney hosts because they were above Perth on the table, but, you know, they were above Perth on the table by scoring one more goal or actually conceding one fewer goal in the season. Uh, That's it. That's the only reason Sydney's hosting wow. this game. That's pretty close. They conceded 19 goals to Perth 20, uh, and that's the difference. Um, um, from an FFA perspective and a commercial perspective, yeah, hosting it at Sydney is probably better. Um, as, and I know Perth fans aren't going to like that. Um, but getting the hosted in the Eastern time zone um, means you can put it on at 4.30 in the afternoon. Um, I suspect they'd try and put it on at 4.30 Eastern time anyway, um, which would mean it would be 1.30 in the afternoon in Perth if it was the other way around, and that would be really difficult because it gets really hot in Perth in February. So, um, yeah, it's it's probably good. I think there'll be a, a good fan turnout. Sydney FC's men's team doesn't play that day. They play Sunday. Um, and it could end up being a really good week for Sydney because they play the worst team in Australia on the men's side. Uh, so they could win a trophy and get a huge win uh, on the men's side in the space of two days. Um, so, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting game. Does home field advantage maybe give Sydney an edge? They they do get good crowds. They do have good support. Um but Perth Glory fans, you know, they, they show up. And there's plenty of Perth Glory fans who live in Sydney. Um, <laughs> Look, I, I want to say Sam Kerr is going to be the difference. Um, it's She's, you know, the best player in the world. She's phenomenal. She's, she was the difference in the semifinal. Um, uh, and, it's, and it's time she was the difference in the W League. Grand final. Um, now I'm just going over the results this season. Um, you know, Perth beat Sydney in Perth, uh, 2-1. Um, so, you know, home field does matter in this game. Yeah. Um, we don't know if Perth flew back. I think they did because I saw Sam Kerr being interviewed at, um, at an airport, which I imagine was Perth airport. Um, so I suspect they flew back. Um, I don't know if that's the decision I would have made with a grand final, maybe just stay on the East Coast, um, for the week, but then of course you have to pay for hotels, um, it's a tough call. So, you know, but it's a, it's a huge flight, you know, you're essentially flying, um, you know, not quite LA to New York because they're not that diagonally opposed, but maybe LA to Miami. Um, yeah. It's a long flight, and they have to do it twice in a week now. So, um, 
I maybe would have stayed, but um, but that's not always um, that's not always possible. It's not always something you can do. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad you pointed out to, you know two important things that uh, a lot of Americans might not be aware of. Is one, Australia is basically as big as the continental United States. So, you know, Perth to Sydney is cross country. And two, it's summer right now. So it's not mild temperatures. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very hot. You know, I think in the, um, in one of the games last week, I think they actually had a drink spray because it's so hot. Um, you know, it definitely wasn't in Melbourne because I was there that morning, uh, before flying back out to New South Wales. Um, it was definitely cold there. Um, but, um, yeah, I think Brisbane, especially Brisbane, Brisbane is kind of probably further north. Um, humid, hot. Sydney's, Sydney's been nice. I was, I was there on, um, on Sunday and it was, it was pretty mild. So it'd be nice if it was that again on, on, uh, Saturday for the W League final. But 4.30 means it's, you know, sun's up. The, the floodlights probably won't be needed. Um, so it's going to be hot and, and managing that's important. And, Perhaps, you know, not having to travel across the whole country twice in a week um, really gives Sydney an edge there. You know, we've seen plenty of times travel matters. And right. This really could be the edge, could be that Sydney doesn't have to make that trip. That's it. You can't ever discount a team that has Sam Kerr in it. Um, so I'd say maybe Perth Glory edging it, we might see, you know, Sam Kerr doing something magical in extra time again. Um, but yeah, that travel makes things a lot harder for Perth and, you know, but it shows, you know, they can't really complain. All they had to do was concede one fewer goal and they'd maybe be hosting this. So, you know, when hosting's based on your performance throughout the season, you can't really complain if you have to travel. Um, you know, they want to complain. The response will just be, we'll be better. Um, you know, they, they may have only lost, they lost two fewer games, but they didn't win enough. And, Right. You know, in the end, in the end, conceding one goal, you know, they, if you don't concede that, you know, if you don't concede, you know, that one goal, you know, they, Wanderers 5-1 is probably the game you can point to, you know, if you don't concede that one goal, maybe you host it. And, and that's uh, so easy to, to forget, I think, for fans during the, the regular season, you know, when, oh, my, my team's up a lot, you know, and then you can see the goal. It's like, oh, no big deal. It's like, no, that's, that's when it's going to come into play. Those, those tiebreakers can be so important. But last question for you, Chris, and, and I know you've already admitted to not being really good at predicting, but, but I want you to predict, I want you to predict how many Sam Kerr goals will be scored in the grand finals. Oh, um, she's, she's, uh, <laughs> let's, give her, let's give her another hat trick. Why not? Let's, let's okay, go, let's we'll, make, give, we'll give her another hat trick. I'm, I'm there. I'd like to see like a 5-4 or, you know, 6-5 or something. Why not? Let's, uh, I think it's going to be close. <laughs> I think it's going to be one goal, maybe even penalties. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm taking my fiance, so I don't know if she necessarily want penalties. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, especially because we have to travel home, um, back to the central coast and that's going to be a long trip and adding an extra half hour onto that. Um, and then we still got a pack to travel back to the States. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be close, but Sam Kerr, 
a hat trick. But that's what I want to see. Maybe that's purely selfish because I'm there. And I want to see Sam Kerr um, do something crazy. Um, so let's go for it. Sam Kerr hat trick. Maybe it won't be enough. All right. I'll, I'll hold you to that. And we'll see what happens. Well, Chris, thank you yeah. so much for, for taking the time to talk Australian soccer with me. I know you're always my go-to guy, and, and it just worked out perfectly that you were actually down under when a lot of this was happening. And I hope you have a really great time at the grand final this weekend. Yeah, looking forward to it. I haven't been to a grand final since uh, since my men's team was any good. So uh <laughs> looking forward to, uh, to enjoying the, the carnival and... Uh, and uh, seeing a W League game for the first time in uh, in over a decade. I'm really excited. All right, time to wrap it up with the back four. Coming up less than two weeks for the U.S. Women's National Team is the She Believes Cup with doubleheaders in Philly, Nashville, and Tampa. The women will face England, Japan, and then Brazil in the four-team tournament. All USA games will air live on either Fox or Fox Sports 1, and all non-USA games will stream live on ussoccer.com. And coming up right after that, NWSL preseason will start Monday, March 4th. Several clubs have already released their preseason schedules. The annual Thorns Invitational Tournament will once again feature the U.S. U23 national team playing Portland, as well as Chicago and Seattle, a.k.a. Rain FC. I am working on adding all the games for preseason to my Woso Google Calendar that you can find linked at KeeperNotes.com. And be sure to follow Keeper Notes as well as Mix Zone, and that's mixed with two X's on Twitter, uh, since I occasionally do giveaways for prizes uh, through trivia. And of course, I'm usually doing that during, definitely during U.S. women's national team games. And last, the postseason edition of the Keeper Notes NWSL Almanac including color photos, player registry, coach information, all-time stat leaders, lots more. It's available for purchase at keepernotes.com in PDF format. And you can now pre-order the printed edition, which is almost ready, so close. And I'm hoping by the end of March to have the complete statistical guide to the Women's World Cup available for purchase as well. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone for sharing this podcast with others. And as always, big thanks to Sean for making this podcast happen. But now she's anybody's girl.